funny or I just relate to it a little more than I'm comfortable with, but uh, either way, I like it. Hey, welcome to Central. My name's Tim. I get the honor of serving as one of the pastors here, and, uh, and man, I'm, I'm glad you decided to join us today as we continue, actually tie a bow on our series that we're currently in, hashtag struggles. Uh, but before we go too far into the service, uh, I want to welcome you, but also want to welcome those of you joining us online all the way from uh, Memphis, Tennessee, all the way from Missouri, and in the state, a uh, great country of Africa, Tanzania. We're glad that you're online with us today. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Well, hey, I don't know if you have, uh, I don't know if there's any Napoleon Dynamite fans in the house among us. Um, one, awesome. Well, hey, this, this is better than last service. Uh, two types of people in the world, really. Those that love Napoleon Dynamite, those that don't understand it. Um, I happen to like it, so please reserve your judgments for later. But Napoleon Dynamite, in that movie, it came out in 2004, um, there's this guy in there named Kip, and Kip meets his uh, fiance, proposes to her, LaFonda, meets LaFonda online, and at Kip and LaFonda's wedding, Kip writes a song and sings it to LaFonda as part of his wedding vows, and I thought it would be appropriate for me to share it with you today. I'm not going to sing it, don't get your hopes up. Uh, it says this, we met in a chat room. Now our love can, can fully bloom. Sure, the World Wide Web is great, but, but you make me salivate. Yes, I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. But still, I love technology, always and forever. And that's good, right? That's heartwarming and very endearing, very inspiring. But I would echo Kip's words, I too love technology. I love technology. I love social media. I'm on a variety of platforms. would love to connect with you on there. love Amazon Prime. I love ordering stuff online. It shows up at my door. I don't have to fight the crowd. It's awesome. Thanks to Instacart, we can actually buy our groceries online now. It's, uh, it's amazing technology. We love technology. I love the creative ways that the church is using technology so we can connect with people all over the globe, even in a moment like this. Uh, I love the various apps that help us to be more efficient uh, with our time and with our talents. I love how uh, the Bible app has over multiple millions of downloads on. If you don't have the Bible app, version, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, that way, if you don't want to read the Bible, you can have someone read the Bible to you uh, while you're driving to work. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Love, love technology, but the series, Hashtag Struggles, is to highlight while we love technology, uh, we don't love it as much as you, you see. Uh, yes, the World Wide Web is great, but you make me salivate. No, that's, that's weird. That, sorry. But we are currently navigating the largest communication shift in over 500 years, right? Uh, we haven't seen a communication shift like this really since the, the printing press that has changed the landscape of culture as we know it. And because of that reality, we thought it would be appropriate for us to wrestle with this question, how do we continue to follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world. And so this is week five of this series, but we've been specifically talking about relationships and how relationships have changed. Like if you're on social media, if you're on Facebook, you probably have uh, average has like 250 Facebook friends, but, but statistics show that most of us don't have one friend that we can be fully transparent with. Let, let you know all the junk that's happening in my life, but we have a lot of friends online. So the relationship dynamic has, has changed. Compassion has changed. What uh, sociologists are discovering that as, as social media goes up, we become more self-absorbed and therefore compassion goes, goes
goes down. And we talked about that in week two. In week three, we talked about contentment. And man, the struggle with contentment is real because I can see everything going on in your life right here on my phone. And you, you post your front stage, but I know what happens on the backstage in my life. And so I compare your front stage with my backstage. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I am terrible at this thing called life. And it, it hacks against contentment and who we are. That was week three. Week four, last week, we talked about authenticity and this idea that, man, I can never be fully authentic with you unless my, I anchor my identity, my self-worth in all that God says is true of me. Because until I, I find my self-worth in what he says is true of me, I'm going to be, be fighting to get your approval. And so we operate from this framework of that my self-worth is based on my performance and the opinions of others. And as long as I base my self-worth on my performance and what you think of me, then I'm never going to be real with you because I'm going to position myself to the way that I think you want me to be. But if I anchor my identity in Christ and who he says I am, then I can all of a sudden be real with you. And so that was last week. If you missed that, you can check that, that out. This week, we're talking about this topic of rest. And man, when it comes to rest, let's just acknowledge that the struggle is very very real. And so I hope you get something out of today's talk, but I feel like I'm up here talking to myself more than anyone else. I wanted to start with this statement. If you're taking notes, uh, this is where the, the notes begin. If you're online, you can download these as well and follow along. But I want to start with this statement as kind of a foundation of today's, today's talk. So here's what the first fill in the blank is. Here's our foundation statement. Uh, we are stressed because we are so busy. Because we are busy, we are tired. We're tired, but we don't know how to rest. So we continue down this cycle. And so let me unpack that for you a little bit. Uh, number one, we're stressed. Like, let's just acknowledge, first fill in the blank, we're stressed. I don't have to convince you of this. You feel this. We all, we all live in this this space. I thought about sharing a whole lot of statistics and research to highlight how we as Americans are very stressed out, but those statistics actually just stress me out even more, so I'm not going to put that on you. Uh, but what I will share with you, one thing that I thought was interesting in the finding, that the, the demographic of, of Americans where, where stress and anxiety is on the rise the most is with this age bracket of 8 to 13-year-olds. Never before have we seen kids under this enormous amount of stress. And what sociologists and psychologists are now saying is that, that stress is actually um, uh, contagious. And so as I experience stress in my life, I go home and I create a stressful environment in my home. And now the stress that I feel, I've passed that on to my kids. And stress is on the rise. As, as stress in your life is on the rise, you, inevitably you're going to pass that on to others around you. So while you may feel like, hey, it's okay, I got big shoulders, I can handle the stress in my life, we also need to be cognizant of the, the byproduct of the stress that we feel as we're passing it on to those around us. So if not for your sake, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your grandkids, for the sake of your nieces, for your nephews, we've got to wrestle this thing called stress to the ground. Uh, Pew Research, they did a survey of teenagers from the ages of 13 to 17 to see, uh, here's what they asked. They, they asked them, um, ages 13 to 17, they identified that anxiety and depression topped the list of problems that teens see among their peers. And so maybe when you were growing up, the biggest threat against your peers was like gang violence. Maybe it was teen pregnancy. Maybe it was drug and alcohol abuse. What teenagers are saying today, the greatest threat against me and my peers is this thing called anxiety and depression. It's crazy. It's crazy. The challenges today are very different than what we experience. And I don't need to convince you of the stress that you carry because we, 
We live in it, right? So we are stressed because we are so, so busy. We're busy. I don't need to tell you you're busy. Look at your calendar. You're busy. We, we, sociologists are saying now that we are the most workaholic culture in the face of mankind, in the history of man, mankind. You're busy. In our generation, the average work week has shifted from 40 hours a week to 47 hours a week on average. And some of you are here, you're like, I would pay for a 47-hour work week, right? You know, that's the average. That's the median, right? We're busy. In previous generations, folks said that they found significance in God and family, number one. Number two, today surveys show that people find significance in their career more than anything else. And, and because of that, it drives our life and it drives us to be more and more busy. We are stressed because we are so busy. Because we are busy, we are we're tired, right? Like you're tired. You don't have to tell. You feel, I don't have to convince you of this. You're tired, right? And so today, out of all the days throughout the year, if you're tired, we have childcare provided for the next uh, 40 minutes. And so if you want to just lay your head on that pew in front of you, take a little nap, I will not say bad things about you in my head while I'm on stage. I'll actually be envious of you today, today only, while we talk about rest. <laughs> Mike's out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, we're stressed because we are busy, because we are busy, we're tired, because we are tired, but we don't know how to, we don't know how to rest. So our issue isn't the presence of busyness, tiredness, and stress. Our issue is the absence of rest. So how do we experience real rest? Well, thanks be to God, like he promises rest that supersedes all those things. In Psalm 127, verse 2, it says this, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. Check this out. But God gives rest to his loved ones. I think part of the reason is that we're looking for, for, for love. We're looking for rest in all the wrong places. I almost started singing you a song right there. Uh, <laughs> We're looking for rest in all of the wrong places. Uh, here's what I mean by that. The first fill in the blank under that header is, is, is rest is deeper than sleep. Rest is deeper than sleep. Sleep is good. Statistics show that, man, as a culture, we are sleep deprived. Uh, but real rest is actually deeper than, than sleep. Uh, rest is more than time off is the next fill in the blank there. Rest is more than time off. Some of you, you experience this, right? Like you get to the weekend and you're like falling into the weekend exhausted. But then the weekend comes and then your schedule like doesn't lighten up any. You're actually just as busy on the weekends as you are throughout the week. And you're like, I'm actually excited to go back to work so I don't have to work so hard on the weekend, right? Uh, confession, like yesterday morning, we got up at, at 6.30. We're out of the house by 7.45 and we did not sit down as a family again for the remainder of the day. We're just going different direct and this is my day off this is a confession this is cathartic for me this is i'm confessing to you right now in this moment i struggle with this and so so i think the the struggle is real rest is more than time off because if time off provided the rest we needed then that vacate you wouldn't need a vacation from the vacation right we live this so rest is more than simply taking time off uh, a third fill in the blank there rest is more than escape rest is is better than escape Escapism is a, a new term that's kind of coming to the surface more and more. And here's the definition. Escapism, intentionally detaching from the real world to escape our lives. We do this. 
The problem's not out there somewhere. The the problem's right here. We live this escapism uh, mentality. We have seen this grow at a rate unlike any other in the history of humanity. And in a selfie-centered world, we are stressed, we are tired, we are busy, and we are looking for an escape from the weight of all that. So this could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be pornography, could be overeating, it could be binging on Netflix. Uh, from time to time, here's what, uh, I had a friend challenge me last year. He said, Tim, um, you, you're, you're running on red and I just need you to, here's what I would encourage you to do is take a, a time inventory, take an inventory of all your time and audit your day. And so every moment of every day, man, I was, I was writing down, here's what I was doing, here's what, here's what I invested my time in. And what I discovered in that time audit was that whenever I would, I'd be writing content or I'd be thinking through a problem or trying to navigate a, an, an issue, whenever I'd hit a roadblock, I would immediately pull out my phone and jump on Instagram and start liking pictures and commenting. So I felt productive. And so I could felt like I was continuing to go, but reality is I was, I was stuck. And so for me, the way I escape oftentimes is jumping on my device and plugging into social media so I can escape the problem that I'm dealing with right in front of me. And I realize that might sound weird, but to some degree, we all do it. Some of us have healthy forms of escapism, like exercise or gardening or cooking or playing with the kids, but we're all looking for an escape under the weight that we carry in life. And here's what I want you to know, and here's what you already know. Escape promises a lot, but it delivers very little. Escape promises a whole lot, but it delivers very very little. So how do we experience a real rest? That's the question today. How do we experience a real rest? Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. We'll have it on the screen. It's also in your program. In the bulletin, you have Matthew 28, uh, 11, 28 through 30 in the NIV, uh, as well as the message. We're going to be referring to both and camping out here just for a moment. Here's what's true of every promise in the Bible. Uh, Every promise in the Bible is true. Every promise also has a premise. Here's what I mean by that. You take John 3, 16. uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whosoever would believe, there's the premise, and here comes the promise, would not perish but would have eternal life. Eternal life is the promise, but the premise is belief. And so when we come to Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, we're going to see Jesus promise rest twice in this passage, but he also gives two premises for us to experience his rest. So if we're going to take hold of the promise, we've got to wrestle with the, the premise. And here's what it says. Verse 28, uh, come to me. There's the premise. Here's the pro- and then he goes on. Uh, All you who are weary. That word weary there literally it implies more of an internal struggle, an internal wrestling match that actually leaves the individual exhausted. It could be wrestling with a guilty conscience. It could be wrestling to try to please God. It's this internal struggle on the inside that, that leaves an individual exhausted. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That word burden implies an external weight putting, being put on your shoulders, maybe from the demands of others, maybe from, from, from things that are being placed on your plate that is a very heavy load to carry. And in this culture, when Jesus was writing this, he was writing in the midst of a lot of religious activity. And so these religious leaders are like, hey, if you want to please God, you got to do this. 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 They're placing all these external demands onto people. And it was a very heavy burden to carry that those that were actually communicating the burdens couldn't carry them themselves and Jesus comes along and says, Hey, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, and maybe you're here today and you're exhausted. Maybe you're here today and 
you've been wrestling with the guilty conscience on the inside, trying to please God and balance the scales somehow so, so you can feel like you have his approval, carrying a heavy burden that you were never intended to carry in the first place. And Jesus extends an invitation to you today. And he attaches it with a tremendous promise in this invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That word rest here literally means to resuscitate, to revive, to refresh. It's not just physical rest, but a very deep spiritual rest. If you are weary, if you are burdened today, you can come. You've come to the right place because Jesus himself extends an invitation to resuscitate your soul. I love the way the message puts this passage. So we'll jump to that in verse 28. It says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. So jump back to the NIV in verse 29. It says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's the premise. For I am gentle and humble at heart, and here's the promise, you will find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus' invitation here, that, that's a word we don't, <laughs> we don't know when the last time you heard someone say, hey, can you help me carry my yoke? Uh, we just don't use that term a whole lot. Uh, but, but it's actually Jesus' invitation to come under his lordship, to come under into submission to who he, who he is, to be, be connected together with him. It's our means of saying, Jesus, here's the keys you can drive. Uh, I'm stepping out of the driver's seat. I'll be, I'll be in this, this, this passenger seat from now on. I'm stepping off the throne of my heart. I'm putting you on the throne of my life. Now you call the shots. You're the boss. You're not just the forgiver of my life. Jesus, I'm making you the leader of my life. And so we have a picture here. Here's what uh, this looks like. This is a, a yoke. Um, those are actually oxen. But the wooden thing is the yoke, uh, right? And so this is what Jesus was inviting them to, 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 to literally stick your head out and come under his, his lordship to give submission to, to all that he is and all that he asks us to do. Uh, but the good news is that we're no longer alone in this moment. Like when we stick our neck into this yoke, we're, now we are in tandem with him. We are partnered with him. And therefore, Jesus says that actually my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. And, and taking on the yoke of Christ doesn't mean that we no longer ha- have to work. It doesn't mean that we no longer have struggles in life, but it just means that now you're not alone in the struggle. Now it means that you are yoked together with him. And now what was, once was very heavy, once was very burdensome, now all of a sudden becomes very, very light because it's no longer your strength, but it's his strength partnering with you. And so to be yoked together with Christ is a a term that this audience would have been very familiar with. A student was often referred to as under the yoke of their teacher. An ancient Jewish writing contains the advice, put your neck under the yoke and let your soul receive instruction. And Jesus' invitation is to to, to learn from him, to walk with him, to, to observe as we are yoked together. Jesus, how are you doing this thing we call life? And as we walk together in tandem, I'm observing how he does it, and I'm correcting my form in the process. We have this other picture here. Check this out. This is the pulling a wagon. And now, all of a sudden, with Jesus, I, I'm no longer about my own business, but now I'm about the Father's business, about kingdom work, good work in tandem with with him, and Jesus says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light.
As I was preparing for this, this message today, I just was envisioning this moment, seeing you out here, and just thinking about some of the loads, some of the work, some of the stress, some of the, the fatigue that perhaps you've brought into this room today. And so this is a little weird for me, like I'm not going to lie, but here's what I would like for you to do in this moment. I would invite you to close your eyes, and I want to read you this passage, and I want you to receive this, this text as a word from Jesus himself, not from some goofy guy on stage. And here's what he says, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus would say this to you. Are you tired? Worn out? Thank you for the affirmation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? His invitation has come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's good. It's good. Listen, when it comes to experiencing real rest, there's a lot of other options, but there are no other answers. Real rest is only found in Jesus. Come to him, submit to him, learn from him. His promise is you'll recover your life. And you'll find rest for your souls. So real quickly, I want to give you three keys to taking a real rest. Three keys to rest. If you're taking notes, these are on the back side of that page. Uh, number one, we rest in salvation. We rest in salvation. Salvation isn't something you can earn. It's not something that you can uh, work hard enough for. It's not something you can strive for. It's something you rest in. It's something you receive. It's something you embrace. E- Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, uh, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's actually a gift from God, not by works. You can't earn it so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Now, you can't work to earn your salvation, but certainly salvation compels us to do some things. So every day, throughout, through your relationship with Jesus, you can come to him and say, God, today I'm choosing to rest in you. You accept me as I am through the cross of Christ. Today I'm not striving for approval, but today I'm resting in your approval. Though things might get crazy, though I've got a lot to do, I'm going to work from a posture of rest. We can rest in the reality of our salvation. Second observation when it comes to rest is that we rest by keeping the Sabbath. We rest by keeping the Sabbath. And before you tune me out and say, okay, pastor, another pastor trying to tell me I can take 24 hours off uh, when you only work one day a week anyway, pastor, right? Like that's, I know, I know, I've heard that before. I haven't, haven't experienced it, but I've heard it. Um, Sabbath. Let's look at this. So Exodus 20, 8 through 10 says this. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It just means set apart. Uh, you don't touch it. It's, it's distinguished. It's set aside. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
Uh, here's the deal. God knew you would need rest. And so he works rest into the rhythm of our weekly lives. And he invites us to keep it. Uh, so four principles for, for the Sabbath. Four principles for the Sabbath. This is from um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, Peter scores, uh, however you pronounce his last name, it's in your notes. Feel free to check it out. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. Four, four principles to keeping the Sabbath. Here's what this looks like. Number one is stop. First principle is we just stop. Whenever it comes to the Sabbath, there's a 24-hour period. Could be Monday, could be Wednesday, could be Friday, could be Saturday, could be Sunday. But there's a 24-hour period of time when we just stop. We stop the rhythm of life. We, we just stop. And this is a confession. That's hard for me. It's hard for me to stop. Uh, but stopping is actually just acknowledging that, God, you're, you're God, I'm not. And for some of us, this is a, a bigger step of faith than really anything else I could ask of you. Bigger than anything else God could ask of you. 24-hour period, just, just stop. This is especially hard now that we have computers in our pocket where I can respond to email any day of the week at any time of the day. Uh, here's what some research shows. Here's why stopping is so hard for us. Uh, when it comes to emails, 59% of us check emails when they come in. Uh, that 59% is actually frustrated with the other 41% who don't do that. <laughs> 89% check emails while they're on vacation. 80% of teenagers sleep with their phones. Before we pick on the teenagers, 84% of adults believe we couldn't go one day without our phones. And honestly, like just the thought of going a day without my phone gives me a little bit of stress. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I might need to call somebody. I might need to get a hold of me about something. I don't know if I can do that a whole day. Um, average American checks their phone once every 12 minutes. We are tethered to our phones. So when it comes to this idea of experience a Sabbath rest for a 24-hour period of time where we just stop, it's like, man, you're asking for the moon, right? But here's what Jesus says. Not Jesus. Well, yeah, God says this in Psalms 46.10. <laughs> here's what he says. Uh, be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. I love the New American Standard Bible translation of this. Here's what it says in Psalms 46.10. It says, cease striving. Just cease striving and know that I'm God. Stopping reminds us that God's in control and we're not that the world will actually continue to function quite well without me. Blaise Pascal, he, he said this, he's a philosopher hundreds of years ago, uh, so before technology, but the same problem in the human race existed then that now exists now, and, and so here's what he said, and I think it's so applicable today. It says, all humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quiet in a room alone. Think about that. All humanity's problems stem from this one challenge, just to sit quiet in a room alone. If you doubt that, here's my challenge to you. And actually, I would, even if you don't doubt that, for all of us, I would challenge you to take five minutes every day this week, five minutes, just this is your best next step, five minutes to yourself alone in the quiet. And to the degree that that comes naturally or challenging will indicate to you the current state of your soul. Because a heart at rest finds no problem resting in him. That's actually my second point, is rest. 
Second principle under Sabbath is, is rest. So first we stop. Second, we, we rest. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means to rest. So whatever that looks like for you, for some of you, man, you like recharge the batteries when you're around a bunch of people. That's awesome. Do that on Sabbath. For others of you, man, being around a bunch of people just brings more stress and actually depletes your batteries even more. Don't do that. Don't be around people. Do some things that, that allow rest to come into your life, to, to allow refreshing to come into your life. Genesis 2, 3 says this, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set it apart, because on that day he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. Like, so God actually models this idea of rest, like just stopping and enjoying. A.W. Tozer, he wrote this book, Pursuit of God, a very, very challenging read, but one of the things that stood out the most to me in that is this, he was actually talking about Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 that we just read. And he said this, he said this, rest is not something you do. It's what comes to you when you cease to do. And for me, that's profound because I can make rest a box that I have to check off. Because uh, I can make rest a to-do. But rest isn't something you do. It actually is what comes to you when you just stop, when you just cease to do. You just rest. So principles of Sabbath, number one, we stop. Number two, we rest. Number three, we delight. And I like this one. Genesis 3.1, God saw all that he made and it was very good. Like he just took time on the Sabbath to, to delight in his creation, to delight and say, man, there's a lot of good things happening in my life. There's a lot of good things going on around me. And so on this 24-hour period, every week, God invites us to work into a rhythm where we delight in all that is right in our world, all that is right in our lives personally. Some of us, myself included, have a hard time just pausing to celebrate the wins, to celebrate good things that are happening because we have this long, long list of things that we have to work on. And so this idea of pausing, stopping, delighting is a challenge, but at the same time, very refreshing. And so when's the last time for a 24-hour period you just delighted in your kids? You delighted in creation. You delighted in all that is right in the world around you. We pause, delight, we recognize good things happening in our lives. So we stop, rest, delight, forth, we contemplate. The Sabbath is a day for us to contemplate all that God is, what he says is true of you, the good things he has for you, how far he's brought you. Like, man, what has he rescued you from? Where has he brought you to? It may not be where we want to be, but we're certainly not where we used to be. We contemplate some of those things. We recalibrate our life to make sure our life's in alignment with our values. So for the Sabbath, we stop, we rest, delight, contemplate. The third idea, whenever it comes to taking a real rest, the third, third fill in the blank there is we rest through significance. We rest through significance. I'm going to move quick here, but, but here's what I want you to know. Here's my hope for everyone that would call Central their home, that you would grasp God's perspective of you and you would live out of that accurate identity. That you would realize that, man, I'm not fighting for significance. I'm actually working from a posture of significance. That, that you are, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus today, like he calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. You're a daughter. You're a son of the king. He's already positioned you with significance. And it's out of that significance that we serve. We're not struggling for it. We're not fighting for it. We just receive it. We rest in the significance that he has placed on our lives. A question, how, how do you attach purpose to your position? 
No matter what your position in life is, how do you attach your God-given purpose to that? Here's what I mean. As a child of God, God actually says that you're his ambassador, that we're foreigners in this land just serving to represent him well, to, to build his, his kingdom. We're actually his mouthpiece while we are here on earth, no matter what your position is. And so how do you attach purpose to any position that you find yourself in? So maybe you're here and you're, you're a school teacher, and I think that's awesome. It's a very noble career. But your real purpose is to build the kingdom. Maybe you're here and you're a tech engineer, and that's awesome. You contribute a lot to our culture, to our society, to the, the world around us. And while that may be your career, that may be your position, but your purpose is to build the kingdom, to help people find and follow Jesus. I remember, man, I was, my first job after I started following Jesus, I was tearing off roofs and, and putting shingles on roofs, and it was a, a hot job, especially in the Midwest in the summertime. But I was so excited to go to work, not because I was excited to, to tear asphalt shingles off and put new ones down, because I wasn't actually very good at it. I was the grunt guy packing shingles up and down ladders all day, the best shape of my life. <laughs> But I was so excited to go to work because I thought, man, if, if my work ethic can give me a platform to share Jesus with these dudes, no greater purpose could I ever have. My grandma, she, she drove a school bus for, for 45 years. Kids aren't in line to, at career day to drive a school bus. But she took purpose and injected it into her position. And I remember at my grandma's funeral, there were people from all different backgrounds and postures of life that lined up to speak of the significance that she had put in their life, the value that she placed in them. Because at the end of the day, it's not about lake houses and 401ks. All those things are great. But we find significance in building, building the kingdom. And people who live life the best, people who have lines at the memorial are people that have purpose into their position because they realize it's not about right here, right now. It's about something much bigger. It's not about stuff, but it's actually about people. And so in, in Revelation, one of the things, one of the favorite things, I shared at my grandma's funeral, I love sharing memorials. One day, here's the deal, I'm going back in the box. It'll be, some dude will be on stage like this. People will be sitting in the seats like you are. My, my hope is that I live my life in such a way today that whenever that day comes, they can say, man, Tim invested his life to help people find Jesus and follow, follow Jesus. That I live my life on purpose, regardless of my position, even though I'm a pastor, that the title of pastor can be removed, but my purpose remains, remains the same. Because here's what's coming for all of us. Revelation 14, 13 says this. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. You can experience God's rest right here, right now. There's coming a day, though, where you will be able to experience real rest, eternal rest. And your deeds will follow you. My deeds will follow me. Let's live life right here, right now from a posture of significance so out of that we can make an impact. So we rest by resting in salvation. We rest 
by keeping the Sabbath. We rest by understanding that God has endowed you with so much significance right here, right now, that if we were to really even grasp it, it would blow our minds. Let's pray. God, we thank you for real rest. We thank you, God, for your invitation to experience your rest by surrendering to you, by encountering you. And from that, we can rest in salvation, your Sabbath. And God, we can rest in our significance. Maybe you're here today and two groups of people I want to talk to real quick as you continue to pray with your heads bowed, eyes closed. Two groups of people. The first group would be this. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. You know you're going to heaven. You've crossed the line of faith. You're, you're actually serving him. You're doing good things. But man, this idea of rest seems to be something that you haven't experienced in a while. If that's you, I would just encourage you today to take Jesus, uh, Jesus up on his invitation to come to him. And he'll give you rest. The second promise there is take his yoke upon you and learn from him. For he's actually gentle and humble at heart and he, he promises rest for your soul. But the premise is taking his yoke upon you. And so for you today, it would just be a matter of coming back and submitting to his authority in your life. You're a follower of Jesus. It's awesome. But maybe you've just drifted in that area. And so for you, it'd be a matter of saying, Jesus, today I'm coming back. I'm going all in with you afresh. You're calling the shots. I'm going to follow you. If maybe that's been out of balance in your life, today you're coming back to him. I just invite you to slip your hand up in the air to show God that you're taking action this week. You're going to take a Sabbath rest. Thanks, 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 thanks. God, for those reaching out to you, they're your kids, your sons, your daughters. Father, may we, as your kids, experience your rest. Would you give them rest now, I pray. Second group of people here, maybe you're here and it's going to really be impossible for you to experience real rest because you haven't crossed the line of faith and made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. And so until we experience salvation, there's constantly this internal struggle in our hearts and our souls. And you know this firsthand because you're living it. You walk around with this incredible weight on your shoulders that, that you were never intended to carry. But Jesus comes to you today and he says, come to me, surrender to me. I'll give you rest. But the premise of that promise is to, to go all in with him, to take his yoke upon you and to learn from him. And so if you want to do that today, if you want to go all in with Jesus, you want to cross that line of faith, I want to invite you to say a simple prayer like this with me because Jesus said, the Bible says this, that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he's the Lord, the boss of your life, that, that you will be saved. And so by the authority of God's word, you can experience his salvation today. I want to invite you to say a simple prayer, but a, a significant prayer with me right now. If that's you, pray this. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that I deserve, to pay the penalty for my sins. God, I thank you for, 
for bearing my burden on the cross. And I believe that it didn't just end on the cross, but God, you, you rose again. You're alive. And because you're alive today, God, I believe I can experience real life in you. So God, would you come into my life, forgive me of my sins, give me a fresh start and a new beginning. Now you say this to him. You say, say, God, today I surrender to you. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. If that's your prayer today and you're crossing a line of faith, you're going all in with Jesus, I just want you to reach out to God right now. And I just believe he's going to fill you with his power, his presence, his hope, his rest. Thanks. Thanks. God, you see those reaching out to you. Today, God, may they experience the joy of your salvation. Today, God, may they experience the freedom from life's deepest hurts, habits, and hang-ups that they've carried into this place. God, may they sense your forgiveness sweeping over them in a very tangible, very profound, very powerful, very real way. Right now, I pray. And God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for fresh starts and new beginnings. Help us to walk in that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.